Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. All right, let's open up the first Peter 1.18. And uh, we're titling this message, Who Are You? And I wanted to, in fact, I'd gone on Google and downloaded a clip of uh, The Who, and they sing a song back in the 70s. It's, uh, who, who are you? We really want to know. And I talked to Josh before service. I said, could we play that clip? And he said, well, we'll have to play, pay royalties if we do. So I'm just going to sing it. <laughs> and I'm going to do a really bad job on purpose so that the band doesn't get upset. No. <laughs> if you know the song, my hope is that it gets stuck in your head this week, and that throughout the week you, you think, who am I? Who am I? We really want to know. So let's look at First Peter. First Peter, uh, verse, or chapter 1, verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with, with perishable things like silver or gold. From your futile way, of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You know, we uh, we're, we don't look at things like God does. We look at things in the natural a lot of times, and we think, uh, you know, what is a what is a, a human being's life worth, or uh, you know. But God paves his streets with gold. He, he doesn't see uh, gold the same way we do. Um, nothing against gold. I'll take any that you want to share. Uh, <laughs> you know, but <clears throat> it's not as valuable as we think. Um, I'm doing a, I'm teaching a homeschool class to my grandson. And one of the things we've been going through in science is the planets. And there's a planet out <coughs> called Neptune, and Neptune has a moon that they think has liquid diamonds, a, a, a lake or a pool. I don't know how, how big this thing is, but they, they believe that it, there exists liquid diamonds. How valuable would that be to us? Can, I can't even imagine a, a liquid diamond. But, <clears throat> but to God, it's something he puts on an outer planet far away on a moon that We've had like one satellite go by, I think Voyager 1 uh, or Voyager 2, one of them made a, made a trip by it and got us some information. So he's like, uh, well, we'll just put these diamonds out there. It's just in the South 40, you know. <laughs> we look and see that we've been redeemed from a futile way of life. And a lot of translations say useless. A useless way of life. Just getting up in the morning, eating, going to work, coming home, eating, going to bed, getting up the next morning and doing it again is useless if that's all that life is. If there's nothing higher, if man hasn't been called to anything more than just existence, it's a futile way of life. We look and, and uh, see that this feudal way of life was handed down from our forefathers. 
One uh, translation said that this is uh, vain conversations or the sin nature. So from our forefathers, the sin nature has been passed down to each generation. <clears throat> but there's hope. Verse 19 says, but with the precious blood uh, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. <clears throat> the most valuable thing in the universe. Don't look at redeeming a natural human being. Look at redeeming a spiritual being. What's the cost of redeeming a spiritual being? How can it be paid for with silver or gold or diamonds or platinum or any material things that we think of? It, it can't. And in fact, the, the angels said to themselves, or probably loud enough God heard, um, who's the man that God is mindful of him? Who is this creation? Who is this man that God would do this, that would sacrifice his own son, that they could be redeemed? Who are they? Well, we're spiritual beings that are made in the, in the image and, and nature of God. And he thought of us valuable enough that we would be redeemed by his son. You were redeemed, Peter tells us. What were we redeemed with and what, we're, what we were not redeemed with. We were redeemed with, with spiritual, supernatural, with the blood of Jesus, and we were not redeemed with natural things. Natural things couldn't buy us. The life is in the blood. His blood was perfect. His blood was valuable enough to pay the price. Can you imagine God deciding that he was going to leave the throne and take part in the redemption of human beings, of a creation? Why not just make more or start over again? <clears throat> That's uh, sometimes when I'm making something, it becomes a time to scrap it. <laughs> you've worked on it, and you've, you've made it worse, and the more you work on it, <laughs> the worse it gets. So just start over with a new piece of wood or, or whatever, you know. Well, God's not that way. He, he decided that, no, no matter how bad man got, we were worthy of redeeming. And, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that the life is in the blood. And that the Bible was written, parts of it written 4,500 years ago. But man didn't realize this until about the 15th or 16th hundreds. So God knew something that man didn't, obviously. <clears throat> Redeemed means to gain or regain possession of. Something in exchange for payment. So God was willing to pay the blood so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be bought, so that we could make a choice of whether or not we wanted to follow him, whether or not we wanted to be one of his children, whether or not we wanted to, to love him. To, redeemed also means to buy, to get back, win back, to recover ownership of. I was trying to think how do you uh, how do you explain how precious the blood of the blood of, of Jesus is because it was one sacrifice made for many and 
I had this example, but I didn't know if it would really hold up well because marbles aren't that precious. But <laughs> if you had a, a whole bag of marbles and somebody was willing to trade, give you one marble for your whole bag of, of marbles, that one marble better be valuable. And that's what Jesus did is he gave up his life and then he went to the judge and said, I'm willing to give up my, my blood for all mankind. And the judge said, you know what? It's valuable enough it can buy back all those marbles. It can buy back all those lies. It's, it's deemed and rated to be valuable enough. So who are you? Who are you and why did the Lord want you? Never had a price been paid for anything this costly. Let's look over at uh, Proverbs 23, 7. And we've used verses like this before. But Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so is he. So in this passage, the writer of Proverbs is warning you that an evil man may say to you, sit at my table, be my friend, but in his heart he is conniving and, and uh, devising ways to take from you, to do you harm, to gain from you, and uh, basically tells you that that evil man will always act out what's in his heart. And a good man will always act out what's in his heart. <clears throat> we cannot consistently operate differently than what we believe in our hearts. So if you believe in your heart one way, you might be able to, for a time being, be able to even fool yourself or fool other people that you're something that you're not. But eventually it'll come out. And most of the way, most time the way it comes out is when people talk. Um, you can you can place them. You can understand what their where the, where, where their heart is by uh, what they express and talk. And it may not be immediately. It may take you a little bit of listening, but the heart um, is hooked to the mouth, and it it will tell you what it's thinking. So who are you? How are you going to determine that? All of us have some sense of who we are, but what is it based on? What are, we, what are we looking at that says, I'm this, I'm that? Who you think you are or don't think you are. So maybe you, let's take it from a different view. I'm not this. Why? How do you know? How do you, what are you basing those things on? What are you looking at? As I look back and where it started for me, uh, I was born to Mrs. And Miss, Mr. and Mrs. Edwin first in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, I was a city kid, not by my choice, just grew up in a big city for, no, for about 10 years. My dad died when I was two years old, or almost two, it wasn't quite two yet. Uh, we lived in a quiet part of town uh, in a duplex with uh, my mom, my grandmother, and my sister, and then on the other side of the duplex was my aunt and uncle and my three cousins. All girls, by the way. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no big brother to, or 
big cousin boy to, to play with. So I was a city kid. At second and third grade, I was taking a city bus, uh, not school bus, but a city bus, and riding downtown, taking a transfer and riding out to a private school that I was attending. I'm not sure that was a good idea, even back then. But how many of us would take a second or a third grader and put them on a, give them, I don't even remember what the fare was, like 30 cents or something. But, you know, give them money, say go, walk, you know, I had to walk four or five blocks uphill both ways. No. <laughs> you know, I, I tell my kids, hey, when I was your age, I had to get up and change the channel, you know. <laughs> Our parents told us they had to walk uphill in the rain, the snow, and both ways to school, right? So, but anyhow, I grew up, you know, that's what I, what, what, we, what we did, and, and when I was 10 years old, I moved to Colorado, which, thank God, uh, got out of the big city. I, I, you know, nothing against Milwaukee, but not a big city person. Um, so I decided that I was going to become outdoor boy. City boy changes to outdoor boy. Well, I knew nothing about the outdoors, but our church group had a uh, something like the Boy Scout. It was called Pathfinders. Um, I think the assembly has something similar to it. But uh, they did backpacking, and they did uh, uh, th you know things that were more outdoor orientated. So that's what I started doing, and I started really enjoying it, and uh, decided I wanted to ski. Now. Keep in mind, this was back in the early 70s, and uh, a lift ticket cost five bucks to go skiing. So, sounds affordable now, right? But by value, it was probably about $30, $35 back then for the lift ticket. So, the first time I went skiing, I borrowed some, some skis from a, a friend. Uh, his, they had some down in their basement they dug out. Turned out they were cross-country skis, and they were 210s. So if you're a skier, that's how long the ski is. And longer is not good for a beginner because the tips like to cross. So they took me to the top of the hill. And they said, this is the top, there's the bottom, see ya. And they, and they took off. And my first two times going skiing were pretty miserable. I, I don't know why I went back, but uh, <laughs> the third time I went, uh, somebody said, well, we'll, well, we've got some short skis we'll put you on. And, and they actually worked pretty good. But that was becoming my identity. I was starting to become an outdoor person. And I was interested in and skiing and fishing and um, I remember when uh, Winter Park, I was in uh, early years of high school when Winter Park opened up a new hill called Mary Jane and uh, we decided, I went with another guy and we decided we we're going to go down every run one time and there are some runs we shouldn't have been on, triple diamonds and, and things but uh, we made it, no broken bones or anything but uh, I enjoyed skiing, this is who I'm becoming and started f doing some fishing from time to time. Um, I started working uh, at a, on a job cutting firewood and delivering firewood and started making some money when I was about 14. So guess what I bought? A car. You betcha. So identity is how we see ourselves. So as you're growing up, you start seeing yourself uh, and putting your identity into different things. Who are you and what makes you who you are? So I bought a car. Well, first of all, I bought a 10-speed bicycle. And then when I turned 15, I bought a car. 
didn't know anything about cars other than turned the key and they're supposed to start. Not sure what to do when they don't. Um, but found a bunch of guys that knew as much as I did. And off, to, off we went, started working on cars, trying to make them go fast. If it was a part we didn't recognize or know what it did, we removed it and went, went on. <laughs> you know? So you understand, I, I subscribed to a hot rodding magazine. An article came one month, said that you can gain 15 horsepower by removing your power steering. So off I go to the wrecking yard, and they have these books that are called exchange books. So you can go to the desk and you can say, hey, I've got this car and this is what I'm looking for. They may not have your exact car, but General Motors may have another model or Ford may have another model that that part would fit. So we'd always carry some tools in our back pocket and go to the wrecking yard, $15, $20 and buy parts. And, and so I replaced the power steering with a manual box. Yeah, what a mistake. Uh, <laughs> you know, you look at it now and you go, what was I thinking? But back then, 15 horsepower, you know, I mean, ah, you know. So if you were moving, the car actually drove just fine, but it was when you were trying to turn it and get in and out of parking places and things like that. It required some effort. So I thought I wanted to become a, an auto mechanic. I enjoyed working on cars. What I didn't realize is I enjoyed working on my car and not necessarily on other people's car for money. But anyhow, so I worked on cars all through high school, and I was a guy with either I considered it a fast car or other people said I thought it was a fast car. But anyhow, uh, that was becoming part of my identity. Um, I started knowing something about cars just from one from experience, and then our high school offered um, a Votech program where you could go for three quarters of the day out to Votech and take the basic classes at the high school, the math, the reading, the arithmetic, and uh, I think I skipped English, Rick, I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but anyhow, I took auto mechanics for two years and started learning something about cars, and, and uh, like I said, I found out I liked working on mine, but not necessarily on others. I met the love of my, of my life, Deborah, in high school, and that became part of my identity. Um, I was dating and actually gave up a lot of weekends to work on my car rather than <laughs> dating, which, again, what was I thinking, you know? <laughs> uh, anyhow, well, we got married right after high school, so all this is the foundation of who you see yourself as, is your identity. Who are you? Now that I'm not in high school anymore, who am I? So up until this point, I've based my identity on skiing and cars and, you know, different thing, accomplishments. Maybe, you know, when you were in high school, you were went out for a football team or a wrestling team, and that was part of your identity, and, and maybe you, you were uh, excelled in athletics or, or maybe a theater or uh, the band or something became part of your identity that you excelled in, but you're not that anymore. So now what? I like what Pastor talks about uh, getting the tattoo of the deer uh, at an early age, and then when you're older, it becomes a giraffe, you know? I mean, <laughs> you know, so maybe you were something in high school or college, but you're not anymore. Um, how many of you know who uh, Junior Seau is? 
He was a linebacker for the San Diego Chargers for years, a very talented and good player. Uh, I didn't like him because he played against the Broncos, and I was a Broncos fan at the, at the time. But as a, as a player, he was, he was excellent, uh, did a good job. Well, he got cut from the team in, in later years, and he tried retiring, and apparently about a, a year and a half, he, he didn't know what to do. His entire identity was being a linebacker and playing football. So he called up Chuck Knowles, one of his uh, college coaches, I believe, and said, do you have a place for me? I got to play football. And he said, well, come on out. And so he put him on, and he played for Pittsburgh for a couple of years. And then he, uh, he, he retired, and he wound up uh, committing suicide because he couldn't live without being a football player. He couldn't live. His entire identity was, was wrapped up in that. And uh, so who are you? are you? Are you wrapped up in an identity that you used to be? Are you trying to modify and, and believe that you still are that? Um, time changes people. That tattoo will, will, uh, will stretch. Um, you, can't, you can't do what you maybe once were able to do. Uh, football players, maybe you were the strong one in, at school or the pretty one or the fast one or a swimmer like my wife. She led her to two different uh, high schools and uh, was a, a good swimmer. What you were was part of your identity, but is it still part of your identity now? Do you know who you are when you can't and aren't that anymore, when you're not a, a linebacker anymore? People lose self-worth because of this. People get discouraged because they're not able to do what they used to, used to be able to do. Uh, after high school, I worked at a concrete block plant, and uh, bags of Portland cement were 93 pounds at the time. And we would have contests to see who could carry the most on their shoulders. And what was I thinking? You know, what a great way to injure your back or, you know, I mean, for what? Just bragging rights that you carried three bags or, you know, I mean, anyhow. But, you know, I think the younger you are, the, the more prone you are to do some of these things. So praise God. People's self-worth. What is your self-worth in? Who are you? The devil likes to... Uh, build a low self-value in you. He'd like you to th see yourself as nothing. Worthless, worthless and useless, nothing and nobody. He starts at an early age when we're kids telling us that we're not as pretty as, you know, the other girls or the girls in the magazine or the girls on on the the ads or we're not as fast as, as the some of these other people running, or we're not as, as sharp uh, mathematically or in, in, uh, in studies. We're not as good as, as they are. He starts telling us at an early age that we're a nobody and we're a nothing and we're going to fail. Why? Because he wants to attack the image of God that's inside of you. He doesn't want you to understand that you were created in the image of God and that you are an individual. You know, most of you know I'm a, a collector and, and uh, collected Star Trek items for a number of years. But when I first started out, uh, I uh, was at a store and they had plaques that were limited edition with certificates of authenticity. And it, you know, it was like number 316 of 500. 
and number two, 299 of 500. So I called up a friend of mine that was a collector, and uh, he said, get the lowest number that you can find. And I'm, I'm like, oh, okay. And he goes, I don't really understand it exactly. They're all the same. But if you go to resell it, the lower number will be more desirable to other collectors. And I'm, all right. So I found the lowest number in, that I could of that particular item. Well, you know, you're not one of 500. You're a one of one. God called you precious and valuable. Each and every one of you. And you, you don't have to compete with anybody else. You don't have to look like anybody else. You don't have to be faster, stronger, smarter. You can be you, and God loves you. And he'll take that, that what he's put inside of you and to help you develop it, and you'll be surprised what you can do if you let God be involved in your life. But as an early age, kids like to attack each other because that uh, self-worth wants to be torn down. But we're called to build each other up. We're called to put good things into each other. We're called to encourage and look for the good in people. Uh, love takes no offense. Um, so when, when you are talking with other people, looking at other people, look for the good in them. It's, it's easy to find the, the, the wrong or the bad or what you don't like, but find something that you do like in that person and even if it hurts to encourage them in that area, you know. So, <laughs> oh, I got to tell him that he did a good job of do this, you know. Well, it'll become easier, and pray for him. It'll become easier. If someone says something bad about you, check and see if, if there's any truth in it. Okay, so maybe somebody, maybe there is something that you're doing that's offensive. I've been accused of living in my own little world. Um, not intentionally necessarily, but sometimes I think what I'm thinking is the way to do it, and I run it by other people, or my wife in particular, and, <laughs> and she'll help me understand that, okay, she sees what I, I'm thinking, but look at it from this person's point of view. Would you want that, or how does that look? And, oh, yeah, that would, have, would, have, would not have worked out the way I wanted it to. So... Uh, repent if you need to. Maybe there are some things that you're doing wrong that um, you need to look at. So don't necessarily, the minute somebody says something that might be a little bit negative or criti uh, some criticism, don't necessarily think, oh, they, they hate me, they're just trying to tear down my self-worth. Look and see, is there any truth? If there's not, um, disregard. You know, if you've honestly looked at it and, and they have an issue and it's not you, then Disregard and go on. Um, I know that, you know, you can try and please everybody and wind up pleasing nobody. Um, so don't, don't be there. Who are you? Let's look at Matthew 5.22 But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court and whoever says to his brother Rika 
shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go to, into the hell of fire. So Jesus is telling them, don't call your brother or your sister Rika. Rika means empty-headed fool or worthless one or um, you of no value. Don't, don't, uh, don't go to your brother or sister and, and call them that. You're letting the enemy use you to take away their self-worth and their identity. You're allowing yourself to be used to accomplish something that's detrimental to other people. Uh, you know, we used to, in school, we used to say sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That found out in, as life went on, that's not true. Words can be very hurtful, and we need to be aware of that, and we need to put, you know, use wisdom when we're talking to other people that we don't uh, hurt them, which can lead to their downfall. Words matter. You can call some, you can, what you say to someone and what you call them matters. The Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Words can hurt or words can build up. God paid a high price for that person. Don't use your mouth to hurt someone that God loves. See yourself as God does. The creator of the universe keeps up with the count of, your, of the hairs on your head. You ever, ever think about it? I mean, he not only, he, he like constantly knows, uh, I don't know how many, I think the, the, the 500,000 uh, hair follicles on, now men have more hair follicles than ladies, just to, for your relief. Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, but you know, there's like 500,000 hair follicles on, on uh, the average male body, I believe, if I remember the, and the ladies were 200,000 less, if I remember. So anyhow, you don't worry about that. Um, but God keeps track of every one of them, and he keeps monitoring it. Don't you think you're valuable to him if he does that? He wanted, he wanted you. He paid a very high price for you, his son's blood. That is what you are, a highly desirable spirit being. You're not just a flesh and blood. You're not just a, an animal, a mammal. You are a spirit being that lives in a tent, in a temporary temporal body that, that lives and, and operates in this natural realm. He made us. He knows what we are thinking. He knows what we're, what we're all about. You know, city boy comes and goes, outdoor boy comes and goes, fast car boy comes and goes. Who are you? Your identity should be in something that doesn't change. If your identity is in Christ, it will never change. It'll always be the same. Let's look at Matthew 7.22, just a couple chapters over. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out devils and in your name perform many miracles? And if you study that out, a lot of scholars believe that, that these people that were saying this really didn't cast out demons or prophesy. 
They were, maybe they prophesied, but it wasn't of God. They were into the doing and not into knowing the knowing God. They were into the works. They were into the religion of being being Jewish, but not looking uh, at the at the heart of God. Identity in the things they had done, and not in the Creator. In Christ, it can't change. It stays the same. That's who I am. Verse and verse twenty-four, Jesus goes on to say that. Therefore, every man who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the wind blew and burst against that house and it did not fall for it had been formed upon the rock. If your identity is formed in Christ and who you are, things may change in your life. Natural things may change but you're still who you are in Christ. You're still loved. You're still valuable. You're still one of his children. Our value should be based on Jesus, the rock. Find out who he is so you can find out who you are. I am in, in him. You don't want to know who you are in the natural. A lot of self-help books have you looking into who you really are. You don't want to know. There's nothing good in, in man's heart. Never has been since the fall. The only good that can become is that you turn your life over to Christ and allow him to be and dwell in you. Without him, you are nothing. I am in him. We are alive and have our being. I am in him and he's in me. That makes me worth as much as Jesus is worth. That, I thought the, the you know fire might come down and the page might burn up when I wrote that down, but uh, lo and behold, it's still here. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it would do you good to stand in, the, in front of the mirror and say to yourself, the Holy Ghost lives in me. I'm a temple of the Most High God. Christ dwells in me. In, in him, I have my being. And allow God to develop that identity that's inside of you, that you're not just a kid that was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that got involved in, you know, driving fast cars and losing your license for two years. And, and, <laughs> and you know, you're, that's not, that, even your mistakes, that's not who you are, you know. What makes me worth anything is what Christ in me the hope of glory let's look at Galatians 2 20 Galatians 2 20 I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and delivered me up 
for him, he, oh, I'm sorry, delivered himself up for me. So we are no longer alive in our natural spirit, but we're alive in Christ. Our born-again spirit is alive in him. Let's jump over to Colossians 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ in God. So you've laid down your life. Now you need to look and find out what your life is, what God is, what, what, what the hope of glory is. I hope that when, uh, when uh, Jim was here, Jim Hockaday was here, that um, I know there was a lot of things I, I picked up and... and uh, Changes need to be made, but I, I hope that that um, the intimacy, the call to to knowing to knowing God, to to following God, often have listened to missionaries that come from countries where Christians are in persecution, like China, and they talk about the the uh, the Christians. They don't have a place of worship. They meet at some remote area, and it's not announced. They hear it on the inside and they follow their spirit and go and meet and because they can't meet in large numbers and they can't um, they can't print uh, or have if, if they have churches the, the Chinese government wants to come in and control the churches so our you know the American church has been we've been really spoiled we've been able to publicly uh, proclaim our faith and pro publicly have meetings and publicly put out, you know, I mean, we're going out on Facebook and, and YouTube and um, I don't know what all the media resources we're on, but, you know, the word of God is going forth freely, uh, but not everywhere. And we need to be thankful for that. And, but, but more than that, we need to look in, inside and allow God to work in us every day to lead us and guide us and develop in us who we are. Who we are in Christ is who we really are, not in where we, what we've done and what we're doing. Uh, even with the things that we're doing now, there's nothing wrong with them, but it shouldn't make our identity. So who we are is who we are in Christ. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.